I loved it. Thank you. That was tremendous. Well, good morning, church. It is my privilege to come and speak before you. Um, a few months ago, I shared, and Kelly Foreman gave the whole sermon in, in the praise and uh, Thanksgiving time before I even got up to speak. And today, I just want to thank Terry Johnson for doing the same. Today, we're going to talk about the table. The table. To set the table, and what does that look like in our lives? In moments that we sort of dread, in moments that we celebrate, like Pastor encouraged us last week, to go out to celebrate, to be the church in our community that's alive. But sometimes that's a very difficult charge, is it not? When our mothers are missing at the table, when our loved ones are not there, whether they're in prison, whether they're in military service, we still come to the table to fellowship, and to praise God. But the question before us today is, how does God set the table? And then the challenge is, how do you and I set the table with God's help? It's a twofold invitation. You see, we need to be at God's table. And so there's a message for those of you in this room that have never sat at God's table. And there's an also an invitation for you and I who have known and walked with the Lord, who have sat at his table, and yet we are challenged to invite others. Because our relationship with Jesus is not ours alone. It's with our community, with our friends, and yes, even our enemies. A favorite family story of ours, my grandfather would tell it until he uh, passed it. 103 years old, was when his little girl, probably age four or five, during World War II, was at the table. You can picture this, can't you? And a very distinguished visitor came and was dining with them. In the midst of the war, everything was rationed. I won't ask for a show of hands who remembers the rationing of World War II. But as I, as I remember the story being told, sugar, Butter, gasoline, pantyhose, thank you the Lord. Everything was rationed, right? That's my understanding. For those of us that were in the community in January when the Coast Guard felt uh, the pinch of not being paid, it felt like a ration, did it not? We began to look closely, but we couldn't even get our minds around the ration that families felt around the world in that terrible time. And so this little four-year-old girl watched this very uh, presumably important person to her parents sit at the table, and he took the butter dish off the table, and he opened it, and he took probably what was a month's worth or more of butter and just helped himself to a nice big piece. And before he could put the butter on the plate, my aunt said, don't you know there's a war on? Put some of that back. Because she heard that, right? All of us who are parents know. Put some of that back. Don't you know there's a war on? There's a ration here. For all the beauty of the table, for all the beauty of the the conversation, can you imagine the awkwardness of that moment for those parents 
when that man, what did he do? I never heard the rest of the story. Did he put it back on the butter tray? <laughs> did he just eat it quickly? You know, my favorite stories are those awkward moment stories because in the midst of them, they are horrifying, right? They're terrible, horrible. But in hindsight, they're hilarious, right? My poor aunt's going to listen to this message. She's going to say, what? The story won't end. (laughs) But awkward moments make a life. And there was no one who was a better storyteller and who had more awkward moments, I believe, than Jesus Christ. He was there in the beginning when Adam and Eve had a very awkward table moment. They shared the apple. And he will be there in Revelation, at the very end of the book, at the very end of our story, at the Supper of the Lamb, when the Bride of Christ, his beloved church, will eat at the Feast of Eternity. And Jesus, whose first miracle was what? At a feast, at a dinner? It wasn't held in his honor, but there was a very, what, awkward moment where they'd run out of beverages. So his mother says, can you fix the awkward moment? And so many times through our scriptures, we are taught about how to live our lives for Jesus in the awkward moments. We are given such a gift that Jesus was God in the flesh because he ate and he drank He was hungry. He was thirsty, just like you and I are. He needed sleep. He was God with us. So he understands our humanity. He understands the awkwardness. But more often than not, more often than we would probably like to allow, he will show up if we would let him. And only God can make the awkward moment beautiful, that he can redeem the terrible horrible experiences of our lives. That he would show up with a happy birthday song. That he would show up in our tears and our sorrow. It's the character of God to make us welcome at a table. So today's scripture is from Luke, the 14th chapter. Jesus was at a Pharisee's house Now, you thought my aunt had a distinguished visitor at her house. A Pharisee would have been a very distinguished guest. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, that's just a setup for an awkward moment, is it not? Have you ever been to someone's house and you felt like you were being carefully watched? Stephen, I guess, is the only one. All right, well, let's just make this point. So right now, a lot of us are planning feasts, are we not? Thanksgiving is coming. Hopefully you're planning your guest list. And this church, of all churches I've ever been a part of, is all about the feast. Did you hear the announcements? We got a feast on Friday. We got a feast we're planning next Wednesday. We probably have feasts on Thursday. And come on Saturday, we need you to cook for the next feast. And in between then and now, we'll have feasts this afternoon and the feast next Sunday. Anybody feeling hungry? So when I'm planning my Thanksgiving, I'm thinking, well, 
I'm going to have a beautiful table. I need to have a guest list that's just appropriate. So I should invite my beloved spouse. I guess he'll sit here at the head of the table. And then um, to make it real fancy, I use these place cards. I should, I should have the children, but do I want the children at the pretty table or should I just have the kids' table? You know, it's always a tough call. How many kids are going to be there? And then let's see. There's my parents. You can't not invite your parents, right? That would be awkward. So I guess they'll just have to make, make the trip. And then there's my neighbor. You see, he's a very wealthy neighbor, so I'm hoping he'll volunteer to bring the turkey, right? Okay. And then there's Pastor Larry. You know, they're new to the community. Somebody should probably invite him. I guess it's going to have to be me. All right. So I, should I put him at the other end of the table? Okay, I'll put him at the... But if I invite Larry, I have to invite his beautiful wife. So where should I put her? Well, if I invite her, I should invite the whole family. And they're kind of grown children, so should I put them at the kids' table? or should I This is getting really complicated. You know, I should also invite my husband's coworkers. And then there's the deacon, and the deacon needs to watch the minister. So should I put them next to each other? No, I'll put the deacon next to the pastor's wife because the pastor's wife controls the deacon and the deacon controls the minister. This is going to work out just beautifully. Do we complicate our lives, right? When we start categorizing people by their stratus, by their importance, by who's best. I mean, I'll kid you not, I really am planning Thanksgiving while I prepare the study. And I'm so convicted. I mean, to the core, convicted about who I was inviting for a feast to honor God, and yet Jesus was making a way for me to understand. Luke chapter 14. Let's start at verse 12. Jesus said to his host, you mind, he didn't just talk to the person next to him, he says to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is talking about at the end. At the end of all times, you will be repaid, but not in this life, not by the circumstances that you set up for yourself, by who you invite. I'm imagining there was a moment of awkwardness. Can you imagine? Isn't it a little palpable? He says that to the host. Probably not a lot of lame and crippled people in the table there, in that home, with it's the prominent Pharisee's house. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. See, there's always one that can't handle the silence, the uncomfortable, awkward silence. So he just throws something out. Blessed is the one who will be at the feast of the kingdom of God. Well, there are Pharisees there. They believe in afterlife, and so they're all challenged, like, well, I wonder what Jesus thinks of the afterlife. But in that moment of awkward silence, Jesus 
has something even more awkward to answer. It's a challenge, is it not, when you're at the table in that moment of awkward silence? Do I let the silence linger, or will I let God speak? Jesus replied, verse 16, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. All right. Jesus launches in to, to a, a, a story about someone else that's not even present in the room. You see, Jesus begins his parable. A parable is a, a short story about a moral or a spiritual lesson that's hard to swallow. Pardon the pun. So let me recommend, if there's an awkward silence, you can always tell a story but let it lead to the glory of God. It's not about the weather. Take captive the awkwardness to give praise to whom praise is due. But those who were ready, he says in verse 16, they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Can you imagine the awkwardness at that table? Can you imagine this? Perhaps we've heard this before, perhaps you haven't, but the Pharisees had never heard this. You see, for them, the blind and the crippled and the lame had done something and did not have God's favor. Why would I bring that person into my life? So much of their culture, as does ours, believes it's who you know that will get you where you want. But we believe that all you need to know is Jesus, and he'll give you everything you want. So let me help you understand, in my study, the certain man was God. The certain man became who? The owner of the house. And when he was really angry, who did he become? The master. Who was the servant at the master's bidding? Jesus himself. And who are we? We are the ones with the excuses. For those of us who've been married, everything's an inconvenience, right? 
For those of us who have 10 yoke or five yoke of oxen, 10 oxen power, excuse me, I have 10 oxen power. I need to go celebrate. Anybody else have 10 oxen power you'd like to go? It's a perfectly good excuse. And those of you who had fields and farms, fish camps, condos in Florida, we all have property to go and see, right? And you may be well-mannered in our excuses, but when God invites us, anyone or anything that causes us to disobey precludes us from the table. That's hard to swallow, friends. But it's you and I who, who would make an excuse before the almighty God, creator of everything, giver of all our life, of all the relationships we have, that we would say, excuse me, not today. And of course, this parable has a double meaning for those at the table. You see, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and that long lineage of people we call the Old Testament, the sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, they were given the invitation to come and to know God. But at long last, when he appeared before them as the servant Christ, either they clearly misunderstood or they rejected him. And the servant, being the servant that he was, said, make a way. And so a second invitation was given. And he went back. And this time, the master says, go into the street. Find whoever is willing, outside the family of God, to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans, to all those who would listen. And he said, still, there is still room. And so the master says, indignantly, will they not accept me? Will they not accept the gift I offer? The whole world is invited. Everyone is welcome at my table. And the invitation that I first offered, there will become a day when it's no longer good no longer good? That doesn't sound like the God of grace that we worship. There is never an end to God's grace, but there is a day of reckoning, and there is an end to the invitation until people are compelled to know who God is, and they will recognize who God is, the master of the house. Don't you know there's a war on? You see, we will be invited to many dinners, and the challenge for you and I is to know which invitation to accept. There's a war on for our time. How many of you have families and try to have one meal together at the table in lieu of dance and soccer and da-da-da-da-da, right? There's a war on for a time at the table there's a war on for relationships that don't involve an Apple device, right? Right? To, to turn off the Apple TV that I have no relationship with, or my Apple phone, 
or my Apple Watch, right? There's a war on for your earnings, for your gifts that you can offer God, for the way that you can share with your neighbors, as Pastor encouraged us to do. To have a party, we have to, to ration how we play. And we all enjoy our oxen. I mean, I'm right there with you. But my oxen will only take me so far. And God's inviting me to keep my oxen in check so that I don't miss his invitation. And now once we've accepted Christ, who, let me remind you, took bread at the table, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body and my blood. That's awkward. For a group of kosher people, it's awkward to say, take my body and my blood and do this in remembrance of me every time you eat and drink that we can be together at the table. There are only two sacraments as Protestants that we celebrate. That's baptism and the table, Holy Communion. Do this in remembrance of me. And every time, morning, noon, and night, that you sat at the table, do we do this in remembrance of Christ? Do we, do we drop our heads to pray? Do we even silently sit as a reflection of what the table has meant in our lives? And do we extend that to our neighbors? Do we extend that to our children? Do we remember the gift? Our challenge by Luke, and I love that it's Luke who issues this challenge, because you see, he was a Greek. He was a Gentile. He was outside of this, this religion that was very closed in, that only the children of God would experience God's love. Not the lame, not the weak, not the crippled, not those who had sinned. But as Luke looks on at this beautiful artistic moment of awkwardness, he records the kingdom of God is now open for all. And now that all are included, like you and I, how will we extend the kingdom of God to our neighbors, to those who are grieving, to those who are lost? It was Luke, the patron saint of painters, who loved to tell the stories of the awkward moments. It's Luke who records the shepherds in the field, the magi coming. It's Luke who reminds us of a breakfast on a beach with fish. There's another person in our Bible, King David, who said thousands of years before Luke, Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, because he knew there was a war on. So friends, if, if you don't recognize that there's a battle in your marriage or a battle with your children or a battle with your neighbor, there's a war on. Maybe it would help if you said it out loud. There's a war on. Say it with me. There's a war on for your soul and for the soul of this community. But he would set a table before us 
in the presence of our enemies, that we would remember his grace poured out. I've had Thanksgiving uh, around the world almost with my Air Force career and then uh, moving with my husband's Coast Guard career, coast to coast, Japan. And no two places will ever celebrate Thanksgiving the same way. But the first 20 years, uh, I probably had Thanksgiving in the same 50-mile radius in Indiana. My grandfather and, this is a, a, the other grandfather, I'm so blessed, the other grandfather, uh, and his five brothers served in World War II together, different fields. But his one brother came home and became a small town mayor. He was very uh, debonair. This is the 80s, right, when he wore a fedora with a little feather and he smoked a cigar and looked really swanky, you know? <laughs> he was articulate, well-mannered. He was a mayor until the day he had a stroke. So late in his life, my father and my grandfather would bring my great uncle to our table. And it looked a lot like a Norman Rockwell table. Can any of you picture that Norman Rockwell scene? The, the photo that, or the picture that Rockwell painted was, uh, what was it called? Freedom from Want, the Four Freedoms. And Rockwell wanted to paint life as it should have been during the war, World War II. And so the, the patriarch puts the turkey on the table, and it's a very white table. It's a masterful painting, I guess, because it's white on white. But as he puts the turkey on the table, everyone's looking expectantly. I mean, Rockwell didn't know how the war was going to end. He said it's the only time the cook cooked the turkey, he painted it, and then they ate it. You know, after all, there was a war on, so you, you eat the model. But what else is on that table is celery. And I don't know about you, but I'm not asking anybody to bring celery for Thanksgiving. But there was a war on. But the look of the patriarch to provide and the look of anticipation on the faces is what captured America that year. And Europe and the rest of the world, as famine ravished the world, they were bitter about that picture. But it might have been Rockwell's most famous because it struck the heart of so many. So picture me at about uh, six years of age at this table. You know where this is going, don't you? I'm at this table, and my great uncle comes in. He can barely walk. He can barely communicate. They have to carry him in to sit him at the table. His food has to be cut for him. It's a small family, just my parents and I, my brother, my grandparents, who are devout Christians, and this great uncle. And as if in response to this beautiful meal, he can only say two words. Now, I need to tell you, as an aside, that there were no swear words ever spoken in my home growing up, especially the Lord's name in vain. Stephen, especially not the Lord's name in vain with an explicative at the end, an exclamation mark. Okay, thank you. So this great uncle could say two words, loudly, 
over and over and over again. The Lord's name in vain with an explicative. Now our faces were as red as could be. And it was awkward. But do you know, it was as if he was complimenting the chef because he couldn't use any other words. Do you know that he was praising the beautiful family that he saw because he didn't have any other words? Do you know that we could have said, oh, gone? No. He was welcome at the table. Why? Because we knew the love of God. Who will you invite to your table that would do the thing that you would most not like to have happen? To create the most awkward situation in front of your children that you can imagine. Would you welcome them at your table like Christ welcomes you and I? Would you set the table with a nameplate for them? Would you leave an empty spot in the hopes that they'll come? Norman Rockwell was known for his idealistic paintings of how life should be. When you set the table, have an ideal of how God would want your family to be. Your neighborhood. With an ideal of how your enemies would want to be treated if they didn't know only two words. I asked for the doxology because some of us struggle with words, and Larry and I don't. It's already after 12. We don't struggle with words. <laughs> but the doxology was asked for this reason. If you don't know what to say, say the doxology. Be silent. Give praise to God. The doxology means a word of praise. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God, the heavenly host. Praise Father. Praise the Son and the Holy Ghost. Because don't you know there's a war on? Set the table. Let us pray. Almighty God, we love you for those in this room who have not responded to your invitation. Lord, do not let us sin in disobedience, in delaying our obedience to you. Help us to humble ourselves to accept the invitation to make right with you the awkward moments of our lives, that you were there and that you would rescue us from our sin. Help us to accept the invitation to lay down our priorities that are not of you. 
forgive us of idolatry of family or fields or oxen. Help us. Forgive us, we pray, to join you at the table as quickly as we can get there. And Father, for those of us who have long lingered at your table, we give you great praise. And we thank you that we can invite our loved ones in. Challenge us today to invite those who we never would have thought to have asked. The last person that you would have at our table in front of our children, would we so love them as you so loved us? You asked us to do this in remembrance of you. We pray that we would honor you in that In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please stand and join me for this last song.